fitting today that today is Pentecost Sunday. I hope you knew that. Let's, I'm going to open today's message by reading the account. We're in Acts chapter 1. Follow along with me if you can. Verse 6 we start at. When the, so we're in the beginning of Acts. You know, this is right at the end when Jesus is ready to ascend. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to fill to free Israel and restore our kingdom. He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Uh, earth, including Australia. I just added that bit in there. But we are the ends of the earth, aren't we? <laughs> then let's just move about 10 days later. We're in Acts chapter 2 now. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Earlier on, it said about 120. We don't know exactly how many were in this one place, although it says all the believers. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. Think cyclone strength wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking our own native languages. I hope you get a sense of the excitement that was going on in that room. The Holy Spirit comes. Signs and wonders abound. You know, they're speaking in languages that they don't even know, that other people do. People are amazed. And then immediately after this, filled with a boldness, Peter, the boldness from the Spirit, Peter preaches a powerful gospel message. And look what happens in Verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. A crazy big church planted in one day. Yeah, isn't this exciting? There is nothing to be fearful of of what we just read about and saw. The Holy Spirit births the church, and we are here today because of that moment. We are here today because of that. Now, our key scripture that we've been looking at through this whole series comes from uh, Romans 15. So let's have a look together. Hopefully you're familiar with it by now. This is the fourth time we've read it through. I dare not boast about anything. This is Paul saying... Anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I have worked among them. So he's talking about the message to the world. 
They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And I think I got it right finally, that, the name of that town. <laughs> On the fourth go through every week, I pause before I say it, even though I practice it. Illyricum. I'm going with that one anyway. Today is the last week in this series, By Signs and Wonders. And I, you know, I've enjoyed preaching it, I've enjoyed bringing it. The feedback that I've got from you all has been very positive. This has not been a specific series just on miracles, but on the biblical and historical evidence that the movement and manifest power of the Holy Spirit often revealed in miraculous signs and wonders is often what leads people to belief, like Paul said, to be convinced that Jesus is who he said he was, and generally in larger numbers. And as I've always said, when we encounter uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in this way, our faith tends to just come alive and, and be stronger and deeper and, and more outward even. I've been very challenged by the book, and, and again, I give credit to Dr. Stephen Elliott from this book that's really challenged me, um, called By Signs and Wonders, and also by a book from uh, John Wimber called Power Evangelism, and I recommend both these books to you. And as I always say when I recommend books, just because I recommend a book doesn't mean every single word in these books I agree with. Um, you know, but I think that their premise is right, and, and particularly Stephen Elliott's book. He is a, a Wesleyan pastor and, and theologian in our denomination. He has a very balanced book on this particular topic, so I recommend it to you. We ran out, by the way, and if you're interested in getting one, you just let me know because I'm going to make another order, and they're coming from overseas. My point in this series has been this. Something is often missing in our churches, and that something is not better preaching or better music or better buildings. As much as those things are good, and I love them, and I think they're important. The main thing that is fundamentally missing sometimes, or often, is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that often confirms to people, Jesus is real. Over the last four weeks, we've looked through scripture after scripture, and we've, we've looked through stories from history of the church from the very beginning to today, to see how the Holy Spirit's power has always moved like this. Always. And often led to uh, revivals and mass conversions. And I wish I had time to do a quick summary of the last three messages. I don't. I've got a lot to cover today. But you can get them uh, online on our website. The first two are up. The third one's about to, to go up. And the fourth one will be up hopefully this week as well. So if you've missed them, I encourage you to do that. Today I'm going to conclude this series. But here is my fear, church. We finish today and we all agree, yeah, that was good, Pastor Nathan. Good series. Well done. We move on and nothing changes. So my challenge to us is this. Let's continue to be open to the Holy Spirit here and what he wants, not what we want. That's very hard to do because we have expectations based on our experience, the church that we've often long attended or grew up in. The 
question I want us to answer in this last message is this. What is our application? What's the application for Hills Church? I think the answer is this. For Hills Church to make expectant provision for the Holy Spirit's supernatural work in all areas of his church. Notice I've put the word expectant provision. So when we make provision or space for the Holy Spirit, we expect he will move. We make space for the Holy Spirit to move. I mean, it is God's church after all. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. So the Holy Spirit should have full reign here. And I don't mean to fake or force anything. You know me. I don't pretend anything. I don't try to force anything. Just simply make provision and expect him to move in power like Jesus said he would before he ascended. That's what Jesus said. So I have some ideas of how this can be very practical for us. And to be honest, the Holy Spirit should be free to work in every part of our lives. This is what we talked about last week and in the life of the church. But we have to be intentional about ensuring that we do that and that it happens here. So I've got five thoughts on what we'll do as a church. These are nothing scary, guys. This is just the Holy Spirit. He's not scary. He loves us. The first thing is this. I'm going to dwell on this one just a little bit. And that's to make space for the Holy Spirit in our worship services. Now, you, have may, you may have noticed uh, of late, uh, we've done one less song in our services. That was actually intentional. We were looking for more space so that we weren't just always thinking about the time. We've done it deliberately. We, when we praise and worship and, and sing together, we literally stand before the King, don't we? Together. And the last thing our praise and worship should be is just a lifeless ritual without allowing the Holy Spirit to move. You know, three songs, announcements, two songs, sermon, one song. We seem to go down that way in the order of the number of songs. You know, that is an order of service that we came up with which is okay. But what if the Holy Spirit wants to move in our midst and work powerfully in our hearts and just being stuck in a pattern doesn't allow it? What if the Holy Spirit is trying to pull you into the presence of God so he can meet with you and you can express your love for him? But I've simply told you to sit down so we can move on. That would be bad, wouldn't it? What if there is a blessing he wants to pour out but we're too concerned about the time? I tend to look at my watch a lot during a service. There's a reason but I'm thinking about this. What if there is a conviction he wants to bring to, what, to, to something that you need to deal with and we haven't allowed time for that to happen or we haven't bothered to ask, God, what do you want to say to me today? What do you want to say to us as a church today? What if God simply wants you to enjoy his presence more and he yours? What if he wants to heal someone? What if he wants to fill someone with his spirit or give a gift? What if he has a word of knowledge or prophecy but we didn't have time for it? What if he wants someone to share a testimony of his faithfulness? If we don't allow space for all those things, is it possible we might quench the spirit or grieve the spirit? How we worship together is actually of vital importance for the church. It is 
a high priority. When we combine our praises and worship, it's a powerful time and God deserves not only our best efforts from our musicians. Thank you guys this morning, by the way. He deserves every person here, every person's fully devoted worship. He deserves our best, doesn't he? Imagine for a second, just for a second, if those doors swung open and Jesus walked in here in his bodily form and stood before the church. How would you sing? How would you sing then? How would you worship? You know, what would your body language be? I know we're all different people. Introverted, extroverted, in a church like this, leans introverted, I would say. But it doesn't mean you have to be who you're not. But how would we worship? What would we do? Now, maybe we need a vision of worship in heaven. And you can't go past Revelation 4 for a picture. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you, sorry. But you can read along with me. It's on the screen. Here we go. Now, guys, church, picture it. Okay, a vision of worship in heaven. I think that we can have heaven on earth sometimes, you know. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. Must have been a loud voice. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven. And someone sitting on it, and the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames, this is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth had an, was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. And day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and they worship, and the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, and they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive power and honor and glory, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Can you picture it? It's very descriptive, isn't it? And I sometimes think um, it was so awesome and wonderful that John probably didn't have the words. This is the best he could do for us. It's better than what we even just read. It was awesome to be to picture this vision is to be filled with an awe of God. I hope it is for you. And when we worship together, when we sing, when we pray, we acknowledge the awe 
that we have of God and his presence here with us. Their worship and praise was endless and in some ways repetitious. Is that a word, by the way? Good. In other words, it was non-stop. Non-stop. Day after day and night after night, they proclaimed over and over again that same song. It only had one verse, if you can believe it. And they'd say it over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, occasionally people comment to me that they can get a little frustrated with repetition in some of our songs. Look, I understand that. I get it. My observation is that repetition and worship has always existed, though. Especially, by the way, in other cultures. Try going to Africa and sing in a church there. You'll sing the same song for like 10 minutes, 20 minutes. No problem and no one cares. They love it. So in love, let me just say, I want to encourage you. Push aside that frustration and concentrate on Jesus and the honor those words give him. When we repeat a line a handful of times in music, just allow the truth of the words to enhance the depth of your worship. You know, if we sing, God, you're so good, or we sing, I exalt you half a dozen times back to back, it's not to bore you, it's to allow us to express over and over again to God like the elders did, that we feel this way, that we truly do love you, that you are a good God. You know, these elders, they just kept declaring that, that truth in worship because he was worthy of it. He was worthy of that kind of worship. When we repeat things, we're meditating on that one truth about God. You know, think of it this way. When you go to a concert or a musical, what happens at the end? You stand up and clap. And then you sit down. Don't you? Or no, you keep clapping. You keep clapping. You keep clapping because you're wanting to bless them for what they have done for you in that, in that place, don't you? You might even cheer. You might even raise your hands. You might even stand up off your seat and cheer and clap. You're giving an ovation. It sometimes goes on for minutes. You ever been to a place like that, a concert where you're going to keep clapping until they come out and give you another song? <laughs> yeah, it's an encore. Because you love what they've done, and we do this with God. We love what he has done for us. We give him an ovation. We don't just give him a three-second clap, and it's okay to sing the line more than once. It's okay for us to repeat lines. It's okay for us to clap God as a way of honoring him and thanking him. You know, when we clap at the end of the song, we're not clapping these guys, okay? Even though they did a great job and we love them and you can't thank them. We're clapping and thanking the Lord as we continue to worship. We do it in a way that he is worthy of, all right? Half-hearted? I'm not sure if he's worthy of half-hearted. Next, you'll notice that the 24 elders as an act of worship, fell down before God. In other words, they used their whole bodies in their act of worship. They showed God how much they honored him with all their being. You know, often in our, our worship, we have moments when you want to show God how much you honor and love him for the things he's done and for who he is. Sometimes our words are not enough and we want to use some body language. So I just want to say raising a hand is an act of honor in worship. You don't have to do that. I'm not telling you you have to do that. But if you have that desire 
to do that, you should be free to do that here, and you are. Getting on your knees is an act of submission or contrition to God. Closing our eyes allows us to close out the distractions around us and just focus on God and God alone. And that's okay. All I'm saying is this. Worship is not shallow. It's not entered into lightly. It comes from deep within. And the Holy Spirit moves, by the way, and guides our worship. The Holy Spirit is interested in how you worship God. He helps us do all of these things so we make space for him. If we have a moment of silence or reflection or we pause the singing with just the instruments, in those moments the Holy, let the Holy Spirit guide you and to uh, enable your personal praise and worship because how we worship together is of utmost importance, church. So I want to ask every one of you here this morning, would you make a collective agreement together, all of us together? Let's be a church that passionately worships God and intentionally seeks the presence of God in our services. Let's give him our best worship week in, week out. Would you agree with me today? Good. You don't feel like worshiping? I say just do it anyway. The Holy Spirit will get you there. It does happen. I know. Not fast with a particular song. The king deserves your best anyway. Just look at the words and thank him. Can't sing very well? God doesn't care. The person beside you may, but don't worry about that. (laughs) You know, can't clap in time? Don't worry about it. I mean, some mornings in our little circle down here, we've got three different beats going with our clapping. I don't know what's going on, but I love it. I love it. They're worshipping with joy and passion all around me. I'm trying to keep it going, but it's okay. I'm sorry, you guys. Keep that clapping going, please. Good. You know, if you're part of the music team, give your best. Practice during the week. Bring your best on Sunday. And we will too. I hope you hear my heart on that. Number two for making room for the Holy Spirit is through our prayer and fasting. Now, you know, we've preached on prayer lots of times here. I think you have to continually do that, though. I think you've got to keep reminding ourselves, don't we? It's worth repeating. Talking to God and allowing uh, no time for him to talk back, by the way, is not really prayer. Because prayer is a two-way conversation. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. If you pray to God and you do all the talking and then say amen and walk away, you've done a good job of telling God what he should do. And yet, he is the king. He is Lord. Let's stop and hear what he has to say. We need to allow space for prayer and space in prayer. Sometimes that means we pray a very simple prayer that goes like this. Come Holy Spirit. Three words and stop and wait. This is something I've learned. It's been great from uh, the Alpha series in particular. They always encourage this. Just pray those three words and wait. Come Holy Spirit and wait like the disciples did. I know the Holy Spirit lives in us, so he's already here. But we're saying come and move, is what we're saying. We're saying clothe us in power. Speak to us. We need your guidance. Boy, we need your guidance, Holy Spirit. Purify our hearts. Purify our hearts. We want to be holy people for you. Pour out your gifts. 
What if we don't allow space for the Holy Spirit to pour out gifts? Gifts of the Holy Spirit. We may not see them. Just like the first disciples waited in the upper room, we too wait because I think often the Holy Spirit is waiting for us to stop moving and stop talking long enough so that he can just whisper in our ears just a little bit. Or maybe he wants to touch your heart in some way. Maybe he wants to heal you in some way. As we read earlier, it was in the prayer meeting that the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. When you read the stories of revivals throughout history, the common denominator was always faithful people on their knees, praying, pleading, with expectation, crying out to God, send your spirit and pour pour him out on us again. If we're not earnestly praying for revival, revival, we can't expect revival to come. I think that we all want it. We all want to see our communities and our country turn to Jesus, don't we? It won't happen if we don't pray. So how hungry are we for revival? You know, I think it's revealed in how we pray. When do you regularly stop and pray earnestly, either by yourself or with others? And when you do, do you have expectation and allow space for the Holy Spirit to move? If you're a ministry leader or a small group leader here, here's the thing. I'm going to ask you something. Make sure you're making space for prayer in your groups, in your ministries, in your small groups, and make sure you're making space for the Holy Spirit to either bring the truth of the Scripture to you or to speak to you in some other way in that small group time. Make sure you have time to listen. All right. Moving on to the third one. Now, those first two, they seem very doable for us. Now we get to some that may stretch us a little bit more. The third way we make space in our services and in church life for the Holy Spirit is through prophecy and words of knowledge. Now, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're in the Scripture, so we can't ignore them, okay? They're in 1 Corinthians, if you're wondering where to find them. These two are similar, but they have a different purpose. Prophecy often means a divine revelation in advance of something. Usually this is either for the purpose of encouragement or perhaps it's a warning for a group of an individual. By words of knowledge, we mean uh, a divine insight into an existing situation or concern. And the purpose of words of knowledge is often to help us know how we should be praying for someone. Or it might be to encourage someone that God actually knows what's going on in their life and you've been given a word about them. Now, for Hills Church, we're interested in in identifying these gifts of the Spirit in our church body and then ensuring that they have good biblical boundaries around them. That's what Paul often talks about. Firstly, when someone advises us that they believe they have this gift, particularly of prophecy, we do what Paul said we should do and we put it to the test. We don't discount that person's acknowledgement of the prophetic, but we do put them under the authority of the board and we test their words of prophecy. For example, here's the things we would ask. Do their words align with Scripture? Number one. The second thing is, do their words glorify God? Do they build up the body of Christ? Is it given in a spirit of humility and love? Is there strong evidence of holiness in that person's life, of of God in their life? And of course, does their word come to pass? And these are uh, acceptable questions that we can ask of people who say, I believe I have the spiritual gift of prophecy. You know, in this church, if we identify this spiritual gift in a certain person, we have some simple guidelines in how they would practice their gift. If you had a word of prophecy that is general and encouraging in nature, and that person was affirmed by the elders of the church, we would say you can go and share that with a, uh, with a person, with the individual. 
if your word is specific or a warning, you should share it with the pastor first and seek permission. This is only for people who are already identified and confirmed. If your word is for a group or the wider church, again, you would share it with the pastor first and we would discern where to go with it from there. You should always humbly accept the decision that has been given to you, whatever the elders might decide. Now, when it comes to words of knowledge, they're very often linked with direction for prayer and encouragement. And so if you feel God has given you a word of knowledge, especially if you're inclined to pray for someone, then go carefully and humbly and seek the other person's permission before you pray. Now, I believe that all of us can hear from God in this particular way. I think that if we listen hard, God actually does help us and guide us how we pray for people. This is why we often pray in pairs or groups, by the way, because when we are hearing the same thing, confirmation comes. It's a good way to do that sort of thing. Having said all that, if you hear from God without, uh, about another person and your word of knowledge has the potential to cause stress or harm, you should always come and check with me first or if I'm missing uh, another pastor or elder. You know, prophecy and words of knowledge, they have the potential if they're not used properly or if someone is, is um, uh, let's say, not really, doesn't really have that gift, then there's always the potential for hurt and division and harm particularly when people claim a word from God that is really just their own wishful thinking. It does happen. I think that most people may have seen that and experienced that in their lives. But the Bible indicates that these gifts are real and the Holy Spirit gives out these gifts for the purpose and edification of the body. So it's, not, it's our job to not quench the Spirit and ignore these things. But it is our job to be wise and cautious, just like Paul. We set boundaries and we ensure we honour the Holy Spirit all the way through. Man, that was a lot of words, wasn't it? <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm saying it's very scriptural for people to be given a word from the Lord in certain ways. Sometimes they're different. And we as a church should not ignore that. In fact, we should embrace that, but we make sure we do it carefully and we go with the um, advice that Paul gives us in Scripture about how we do that. That's what I'm saying. If you're unsure, come and see me this week. And we can talk about it together. Number four is this. Making space for the Holy Spirit. We'll have a culture where asking God for miracles and healing is normal. Again, these are identified in the uh, scriptures as being gifts that people receive. Some people are actually given the gift of the Holy Spirit to do healing and miracles. However, I do think that God can use anybody at a specific time also to pray for someone and a miracle can happen, okay? So it's not limited to those people. It's open to all of us. Now, my intention is that we regularly pray for God to heal and, miraculous, and, and have miraculous answers to prayer. Now, Dr. Elliot says that the churches that expect miracles and then ask for them in faith almost always see them happen in much greater proportion to the churches that don't expect them and ask for them. Well, that makes sense. That's just logical. But here are some boundaries. First, we don't promise anything. Not offering a guarantee does not reflect a lack of faith. Okay? Fact is, God is sovereign. He is not at our beck and call. If he doesn't heal, we accept that. And we confirm the fact that uh, God has chosen not to do what we've asked him to do. And we praise him anyway for what he has already done. Okay? You don't let that destroy your faith. We will never blame a lack of faith in someone if God doesn't heal or answer as we ask. Our focus is always to encourage and not tear people down. But here's the thing. When you pray for someone, I think one of our problems is that we rush in way too fast. If you feel led to pray for someone who's suffering or needs a miracle in their life, 
I say don't rush. Don't rush in with your words. Allow space for the Holy Spirit when we pray for healing. Start with him. Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Then move on when you feel like he's telling you to, especially if he gives you a word of knowledge about how to pray. That's often a sign that God's about to do something when you hear a, a word from God that you didn't know about and that's true about a person or a group. It's a good sign that God's going to do something. Now, here's the other thing about praying for healing. Um, there's, James talks about uh, anointing with oil and having elders lay their hands on you. And we, we, we've already done that, and we will continue to do that. By elders, I think that that can extend really to um, not just the elected elders of the church, but those who are spiritual uh, elders in many different capacities within the church, okay? Those sorts of people I trust absolutely to pray over anyone. But the truth is that anyone can pray for anyone. There's no limitation on this, okay? You know, if you feel led to pray for someone for a miracle, for a breakthrough to happen, then you should just do it. Don't hold back. The other thing is scripture tells us if God doesn't answer at a, at a particular time, Jesus says you should pray persistently. So you can pray again and again and again. Often when we do that, God actually directs our prayers in a different direction. And we start to align ourselves more with how he would like us to pray. That's one of the, the great things about persistent prayer is actually we start to discern the will of God in things in whatever area of your life that you're praying. But we're talking about miracles here. And so if someone has a, a, an injury or an illness or whatever it is that's going on, we're praying for a miracle and that illness continues, we can pray again and we can pray again. In fact, there was one situation when Jesus prayed for someone and they, only, they were only half, uh, partially healed. I think it was a, a blind man, if memory serves me correctly. So he prayed again. Jesus did that. Huh? that I mean, it doesn't make sense, I know, but he did. Maybe he was showing us that it's okay to pray twice. I've preached about healing and miracles now for four weeks, so I'm going to leave that one there today. And if you want to know more, buy the book or go listen to my sermons. Okay. The fifth thing is this. To make space for the Holy Spirit in this church, we want to give testimonies of divine intervention. And I'm going to kind of rest on this one a little bit today. We're going to finish here. In fact, shortly... <laughs> What I'm going to do is actually um, have an open mic. Can you believe I'm going to do this? What is going on, Nathan Bell? <laughs> I know, right? I'm going to give you a chance to give glory to God by sharing a story of divine intervention in your life. There will be boundaries. <laughs> if you can't share your story in 60 seconds or less then you can email me this week and I'll find a way for you to, sh to, to share that story, okay? So you want to you compress it and give us just the facts, the basics, okay? But what we want to do is give glory to Jesus this morning. We want to thank him for what he's done. And if you're sitting there right now thinking, oh, ooh, I think I could share something like that, then we're probably interested in hearing from you. But it must be on this topic. It must be on how God... Um, intervened in a divine way in your life in a miraculous way, okay? Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my good friend uh, Ralph came past my office and kind of popped in and said, I wasn't going to come in, but I feel like I need to talk to you about something. He said, oh, you've been preaching about miracles. I, I, I had a miracle in my life. And I said, I'll come over and we'll have a cup of coffee and you can tell me. So I've got the, 
the one-hour version of that one. I'm going to give you the 60-second version of what happened in Ralph's life. And it's amazing what happened. And here's, here's what God did for Ralph. He was, uh, in about 1993, everything was fine with him. He decided to get his blood pressure checked. For no reason, nothing was going wrong. He just did it. Went to get his blood pressure checked. Didn't even have an appointment with the doctor. He thinks it might have been with something like the Red Cross. Anyway, he gets his blood pressure checked. They said, your blood pressure's through the roof, go straight to the doctor. And he is told that you have a serious heart problem and you may only have a few months left. And they found that he had a faulty valve and he got it replaced and he's still with us here today. Can we praise God for that? Did I get it right, Ralph? Just, just... Oh. <laughs> um, here's another one for you. We've been praying in our board about, um, Lord, would you increase our finances? There's some things that we, want, that we need to get done. Anyway, um, crazily enough, I think it was in last month's meeting, and I'm getting the order of this all messed up, but you'll get the point at the end, which was when we were looking at financial figures for... April, right? <laughs> Am I right, Mark? <laughs> For whatever reason, we usually have this little line graph that goes like this with your tights, okay? <laughs> and then April went, mm, like that. I know, right? It, we had the biggest giving month that I can ever remember in this church. Yeah. But it gets better. It gets better because there was about a $10,000 um, increase, which we all just kind of sat there going, what? And we shouldn't have because we were praying. But <laughs> in the same week, the air conditioning in the office completely failed. Can't be repaired anymore because we've been like putting Band-Aids on it for years now. And they came out and they quoted it and it was $10,000. <laughs> I know, right? Yes, come on. Now, if you're sitting there going, coincidence, I'm saying no. Because we had never had a, a month where all of a sudden we had a $10,000 spike in giving. I don't know what happened. God does. It was not just a coincidence. He knew, because I, when the air came to fail, I was like, no. You know, which, how? Thank, I'm glad the heat was over and everything like that. But um, that's how God provided. So can you see, God does these divine interventions. Sometimes he heals us. Sometimes he stops us and saves us. Sometimes he provides for us. Um, yes, thank you, my young apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave it there. I want to thank you all so much for being brave and for sharing those stories with us. There's many others I know. I know there's a lot of you sitting there and a lot of you are thinking that you wish you could, but um, are you all right, man? Oh, good. Um, oh, that's all right. I've got his story. <laughs> but Okay. <laughs> God intervened to stop it. <laughs> all right. Um, you are welcome to share your stories with me is what I was going to say. Why don't you email me this week, see me after the service this morning, send me a text message, whatever it is. I'd love to compile some more stories of God's faithfulness and his divine intervention because it encourages us, it inspires us, it builds up our faith, doesn't it? You know, we had a lady here who, who was struggling to hear one morning. Warwick prayed for her. She sat down. Her ears started to pop. Her ears opened. She could hear again. 
Wasn't that amazing? Um, and look, we've talked about Carly many, many times, but it was a miracle to see her get up off that bed when they told us she was going to be there for 12 months with Guillain-Barre syndrome. There's lots more. So don't uh, repress them. I'll come and have coffee with you like I did with Ralph, if you'd like, and we'll talk about it so that we can talk about how good God is and celebrate and give him the glory. I'm seriously thinking on Wednesday nights, um, you know, we'll probably, it'll keep going as a prayer service, but just more testimonies. I want to hear more testimonies. So come along on Wednesday night and you can share your stories then. The outcome of all this is a church that should look like this. Here we go. It's a place where the tangible presence of God is experienced. I love these words from Moses in Exodus 33. You ready? How will anyone know that you look favorably on me on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people on the earth. Lord, how will anyone know that you look favorably on Hills Church if you don't go with us? For your presence among us here sets us apart from all the people and leads people to encounter you. In other words, what I long for and what I believe you all long for is to be a church where people experience that tangible presence of God and they can't help but say yes to him. You know, when a guest visits this church or an op shop or any other ministry, a play group, I pray they don't just notice the quality of the buildings and the programs and how friendly, friendly we are. I pray that people leave here talking about the presence of God. So much so that they return with someone else. We're going to pray. You can come to you.